This episode is supported by Army Reserve Officers Training Corps, the college elective for undergraduate and graduate students that provides leadership training for success in any career field. If you have a passion for it, you can find a place to fit in the Army as an officer and get the training you need to turn that passion into a career. It offers merit-based scholarships that can pay up to the full cost of tuition and open educational opportunities. Whether you are in high school, college, or already in the Army, are you ready to become a leader? Enroll now! To receive more information about the Army ROTC program, visit goarmy.com podcast. This is Data Science at Home, the podcast that makes machine learning and artificial intelligence easy for everyone. Here's your host, Francesco Garaletta. Welcome back to Data Science at Home, the podcast that makes machine learning easy for everyone. In uh, this episode, I'm not going to speak about data. In fact, I'm uh, going to talk about metadata. Now, metadata is something that has been kind of under uh, the radar for a while because researchers and practitioners have usually focused on the problem of uh, identifying users, samples, or particular physical phenomenon uh, by analyzing the content, the real data, the content of a message, the content of a, of a post that, that, that users publish online. And, uh, and they kind of ignore the existence of, uh, of so-called metadata. So what is metadata? Metadata is that all the data that uh, is used to support the real data and most of the time is something that we do not see so if we think about twitter for example or a facebook uh, social network all the posts and the messages that users exchange with each other are visible and this is the data but behind these messages there are actually there is a substantial amount of other types of data we will see later in more details which type of data is hidden that actually goes together with the message with the real message but actually gives a a lot more information than the message itself and so if you think about the twitter social network uh, we might think of the number of followers number of friends uh, that is number of accounts that we are following the number of tweets that we have produced so far uh, the timestamps when these tweets have been produced etc so this is called metadata just because you know it's not exactly the real data that people see but actually it's something that goes beyond that and uh, apparently when um, data scientists apply even simple even uh, trivial models to make some predictions they are pretty much pretty powerful in this episode i'm going to focus on the existence of this metadata but in particular i'm going to focus on the way uh, a group a research group from the university college london uh, have analyzed this metadata for an experiment uh, that worked very well for twitter but that actually can be applied to any social network out there so what these folks are capable of doing uh, is to identify any user in a group of 10,000 users with approximately 96.7%. It's almost 97% accurate. So what does that mean? Well, if we read some text 
if you have let's say 10 users and we have access to the the, the tweets they produce the text the real posts that what they they type to their friends if we analyze these things you know it's relatively easy to build a NLP system or a natural language understanding prediction model that identifies uh, the author from uh, from the post okay and so while this is easy when we deal with real data uh, it becomes less easy when uh, we just use for example metadata and so that's exactly what these folks have been doing uh, they have analyzed the power uh, and definitely measuring the signal that this metadata can carry and actually do carry in a platform like Twitter. So the goal of this uh, work is definitely to identify users uh, from metadata uh, coming from the tweets of these users. So a quite nasty uh, way of uh, you know identifying users because we are not they basically don't care of what these users are are typing but they they use the data behind that which is the stuff that nobody sees whenever they use they use a platform like twitter so of course they formalized the uh, the project by um, you know specifying user profile uh, specifying also the user identity uh, which of course something i will not go into detail uh, but one kind of sort of limitation uh, which is actually not a limitation it's more a, you know an approximation to make the analysis uh, easy to perform is considering the system a closed system uh, which means that all the observations are assigned to a specified number of users and to a specified set of users. What that means is that whenever we have a bunch of data, a bunch of observations, and I will stress on the fact that's not the real data, but it's metadata, what their models can predict is basically for each of these users, well, profiles, uh, they can, you know, their model can predict a vector of probabilities uh, where the length of these vectors is of course the number of classes or identities that uh, the system wants to to predict and so for example if we have 10 users let's say the prediction of user n will be a vector of 10 probabilities and of course the best identity is going to be the one with the highest uh, probability value and so for example, if uh, user 4 has been uh, predicted as being the owner of identity 9, it means that in the vector of 10 probabilities, the uh, ninth element will have uh, the highest value. And so this called in mathematics is called the argmax, which means the argument that maximizes that vector. And in that case, it's going to be the ninth element. So it's a very simple approach, of course. We also, uh, I will also get into details of uh, the machine learning models they have used, uh, namely uh, multinomial logistic regression, random forest, and k-nearest neighbors. So as you can understand, this is kind of, uh, you know, 
off-the-shelf machine learning. There is nothing super fancy, nothing extremely complex. Uh, multinomial logistic regression is, is a bit more complex than a logistic regression, and random forest is a bit more complex than decision trees, right? And uh, k-nearest neighbors, of course, is the, is a clustering algorithm, which is available in uh, many libraries out there, uh, specifically the scikit-learn uh, library uh, that they actually have used for this experiment, and also all the grid search and the optimizations uh, applied to each of these methods come off the shelf from that library. So I repeat, nothing extremely complex, nothing fancy, no neural networks involved. It's just a, a very simple way to do machine learning today. And still, the accuracy that these models could perform on uh, this specific data set of, you know, uh, a bunch of metadata observations uh, is extremely high. So we talked about metadata. Now, in uh, the idea of, uh, for example, on the Twitter platform, we are used to the, I think it was 140 characters uh, a few uh, months ago, then it was extended to to uh, a way longer message, but let's assume we are still on the 140 character message on Twitter, right? So one can think of, okay, in this message, I can basically do a lot of machine learning, right? By just using the content that I read from a message of 140 characters, wow, that's, that's super, super rich, uh, and th there might be a lot of signal, and that's true. You know, a lot of people have been, uh, even myself, have been calculating, for example, um, uh, while training a sentiment uh, classifier by uh, using Twitter messages. And from the 140 characters, indeed, it was, uh, I would not say easy, but it was kind of doable to uh, predict the sentiment of, of a message whenever, of course, there was some form of sentiment. Turns out that on the uh, Twitter platform, uh, there are, of course, 140 character messages, but there is still about 144 fields of metadata. So imagine all the, uh, you know, basically the 140 character message is just the tip of an iceberg if you consider the entire metadata that uh, you have every time you download a tweet. And if you guys are familiar with the Twitter API, you can do it yourself. Uh, you can just download your timeline. Um, of course, don't overdo because otherwise your account will be blocked. Um, but uh, if you download a, a number of tweets from the API and then you analyze these things, these, these messages, you will see that there's not just the message, but there is a bunch of other things. For example, these 140 for fields of metadata, among which you can find things that are extremely interesting. For example, the timestamp of the account creation time, it's called account creation. You will find, of course, favorite count and follower counts, which is the number of tweets that have been marked as favorites of, for, for this account and the number of users that are following this account, the number of users that this account is following, uh, basically the friend count. Uh, you will have geo uh, location. Uh, it's a it's a boolean. Usually, it's a flag that indicates whether uh, tweets from this account is geo tagged or not. You will have the number of public lists that include this account, the statuses count, or the number of tweets posted by this account, uh, the post timestamp, which is the time of the day stamp at which the post was published, and so on and so forth. I can continue uh, with 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 the tags, URLs, and etc, etc. So 
uh, Iron Man 40 character is actually nothing with respect to, to the rest of the 144 fields uh, that populate the tweet on Twitter. And so by, um, you know, the, the goal of this project was if I ignore the 140 character message and I just consider not even the 144 metadata fields, but just a subset of them, what can I do if I train a machine learning model to predict the identity of a specific account? Okay, so basically, can I identify a profile and basically connect it to the real identity by just observing the metadata and not all of them, just, just, just a dozen of them? And the answer is, yes, you can. <laughs> it's, it's quite easy. And, uh, and guess what? It's very powerful. So these guys, this, group, this research group have uh, been doing the homework, the, what basically all machine learning practitioners do, which is, for example, uh, going towards the you know, uh, feature selection step of the machine learning pipeline and then uh, implementing the classifier. And so in terms of feature selection, they uh, have used uh, a method that uh, actually they've used three methods. The filter approach that basically selects the best possible features that have some kind of predictive power with respect to the, uh, to the target. The wrapper approach that creates a rank based on uh, metrics derived from the measurement algorithm. And then there is also a group of hybrid methods, which basically combines the previous two approaches, uh, namely the filter approach and the wrapper approach. And uh, what these uh, folks have, have been doing is basically considering a dozen of, um, actually less than a dozen of metadata fields in uh, different combinations. They have been using, for example, features like a friend, follower, uh, listed count, um, or friend, follower, favorite count, or friend, follower count, uh, or friend, favorite count, and so on. You know, it's like mixing and matching all possible combinations or or, or, or not all possible combinations, but a, a very large amount of combinations in a subset of the metadata fields. And then after doing that, they measured the accuracy of each of the three classifiers and they basically made the census of which machine learning model was performing the best with uh, a certain number of features. The accuracy, if you read the paper, which I will report in the show notes, of course, uh, as always, uh, the accuracies are pretty, uh, pretty interesting. Of course, the accuracy of any machine learning model will reduce as, as long as soon as you start increasing the number of labels, in this case, the number of users. And so, the pro you know, if you just go flipping coins and you know totally randomly uh, you will have a probability of for example one tenth so 0.1 if you have 10 users right so the probability of identifying correctly a user among 10 is of course 10 percent and of course if you have 100 users it's one over 100 and if you have one 1000 user or 10,000 users it's normal that the accuracy goes down, but you know that's not the point of, of this work. It's not, of course, to have an extremely powerful algorithm for an extremely large number of users, but it's just to show that if you are using metadata, which is most of the time extremely uh, easy to, to gather, uh, and it's also something that 
most of the time, for example, is not encrypted, especially for those services that claim that they are doing end-to-end -end encryption. Well, in, the, in all these cases, metadata is still there, uh, fully accessible to the, uh, to the service provider, and, uh, and they can do you know, very simple analysis on top of this data and still identifying who is who and uh, uh, what, even what type of messages they are sending, uh, even without reading the message itself. The another in the second part of this work, uh, they of course do something that is, uh, in my opinion, extremely uh, interesting, and uh, uh, which is they try to break the the sample, the data sample. Uh, so break means they try to uh, anonymize data or randomize data in order to understand what is the resilience of these machine learning uh, methods uh, trained on metadata, and so they say all right, what happens to this machine learning model if I start anonymizing data to a certain, to a certain percentage? And what happens if I randomize data uh, to a certain extent? Now, it happens that the accuracies do not drop that drastically as expected. And this is quite scary because this means that, you know, these data are still robust. Even if you apply data anonymization techniques and data randomization techniques, for the record, data anonymization is the process by which the values of a column in a data set are grouped together into categories. And then each reading is replaced by an index of its corresponding category. And so in that respect, you don't really randomize completely the data, but you anonymize them because, you know, you would not know what is that category unless, of course, you had access to the, to the categorization algorithm. And then there is a second approach, which is, uh, of course, stronger, uh, which is called data randomization. And that's basically a technique that alters completely the values of a subset of the data points in each column according to some predetermined function. It could also be, you know, a, a random function that, of which you know the seed, but of course the, um, you know, nobody, no, if nobody knows that seed, of course, nobody can reconstruct the signal from the other side. And so that's why there is a distinction between anonymization and randomization. So why I'm making this distinction is because uh, in the in this work, of course, they perturbed the data set to to measure the accuracy of these machine learning models after the data uh, has been perturbed. And what they realize is that the level of protection awarded by the perturbation is not very significant until we get some kind of, you know, something like 100% randomization, which means that even if you are randomizing, you're not going to be completely de-identifying the profiles, the users. And so by analyzing metadata, you are still capable of uh, identifying profiles correctly. And this is scary. And so that's why I think that uh, this was uh, good material for this, for this podcast, uh, because maybe uh, metadata is something that you would like to look at uh, for your next machine learning algorithm. This from one side, of course, from <laughs> the so-called uh, good guys. But on the other side, unfortunately, there are uh, companies misleading the public opinion 
about privacy and uh, confidentiality by saying, hey, we encrypt everything, you know, the, the messages that you send are end-to-end encrypted and that's cool. But the problem is that as long as you do not encrypt the metadata, you, are, you still have, they still have a huge power in their hand, which is they can still identify users, which user is sending to whom, and um, also sometimes also what exactly these people are talking about. And of course, uh, personal life trends. If you start talking to someone you have never talked before, if that someone is talking to other users, you know, you, you can build basically a network of communications and, and basically draw the communication flow among these users. And there is a lot that can be done with this information. So uh, this is just to, you know, for everyone to be aware of the fact that encryption might not be sufficient to maintain confidentiality because metadata carry an extremely powerful signal that can be used or abused. This was Data Science at Home the podcast that makes machine learning and artificial intelligence easy for everyone. If you like the show, don't forget to write a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Podbean. You can also find us on datascienceathome.com, where you can subscribe to our newsletter and get the latest updates. Thanks for listening. Hey, are you still there? Well, let me tell you about the newsletter of Data Science at Home. It's my free digest of the best content in artificial intelligence, data science, predictive analytics, and computer science. Subscribe now, datascienceathome.com.